Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Teach Me to Talk with Laura and Kate. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist. And I'm Kate Hempsler, developmental interventionist, calling from Louisville, Kentucky. How are you tonight, Laura? I'm great. How are you? Back on familiar soil. I'm not in California. I'm in Louisville, Kentucky. (laughs) And I'm not in Georgia, although I was there at the beginning of the week, and there midweek, and now I'm back home. Atlanta was so much fun. We had a great, great conference there on Thursday. So we may have some new listeners tonight that have never listened, but I did have a couple of people tell me that they were regular listeners, which I know always freaks you out, Kate. (laughs) Yes, it does. In my mind, this is just a little conversation, just like all of our phone chats we've had over the years. It's hard to believe anybody else cares as much as we do about this stuff, but they're either parents or of kids with language delays or therapists, I'm sure. That's right. These were therapists, and so one person had listened for a while, she said, and it's about to be our three-year anniversary. Did I mention that last time? It seems like I've said that before. Uh, I I know it's show number 119. I know that. It's really 120, and it's probably more than that because several times in the last three years I've messed up the numbers. Can you believe that? (laughs) You know me well, so, yeah, you can believe it, can't you? (laughs) I didn't say any of that. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. But we had a great, great crowd for Atlanta. It's a lot of fun. I've gotten several emails, nice compliments after that. So that was, again, always nice to hear. And this week on Thursday, I'll be in Memphis on the 21st. And I called yesterday and got moved to a larger space. You know, we had all those hotel issues with Memphis at the beginning when the original hotel suddenly decided to close, unbeknownst to me, and didn't call me or anything. And so we moved to the Hilton Memphis, which is the big round glass hotel, anybody that's Familiar with Poplar there at I-240 knows the hotel I'm talking about. So we moved there, but we were going to be in a smaller room. And a lot of people registered for the conference last week. And so when I got home from Atlanta, I realized we were oversold. We had, there were too many, we had too many people coming for the size room that we had. So I made some calls yesterday and got moved to a bigger room. So registration has now reopened. So if anyone is listening and has not registered for Memphis, I would absolutely love to have you join us there because I think it will be a fun, fun day. Awesome. And that's Thursday. I'm sorry, go ahead. Nothing. (laughs) That's Thursday, and that may be my only other announcement. I did want to say that on the Facebook page this week on teachmetotalk.com, I try to update any little thing that I had put on the Facebook page. And this was interesting. And a mom who's a pediatrician, she's the mom of a little boy that I saw a couple years ago, sent me this article, and it's from uh, the journal Pediatrics, and it says, Behavioral Issues Among Late Talkers Don't Last. And I thought this is really interesting because, you know, we talk about that can't versus won't, and so many parents blame late talking on just being stubborn or lazy or, you know, behavioral issues and things and the and kind of the the a lot of little, our little friends who are late talkers do seem to have behavior issues or certainly their little aggressiveness sometimes gets attributed to uh when it's really communication frustration it gets 
attributed to behavior issues. But this article looked at children who were late talkers at two, and then again when they were five, eight, ten, fourteen, and seventeen, and none of the behavioral differences that they seem to show at two between them and their peers who were already communicating lasted once they started to communicate. And so that was good news for this mom because, and she's a pediatrician, so she sees it this issue not only in her own home but uh, from her patients as well. So I thought that was interesting, and I certainly appreciated her sending me that link. And you can read the full article for yourself on Facebook at teachmetotalk.com's page there and if anyone wants to send me interesting links like that I always love to get those um, but please just email them to me first or send them in a message I, I get a little weirded out when people just post stuff without uh, <laughs> without running that by me so a little bit of my control freak issue showing there so just message those to me or email them at laura at teachmetotalk.com and I will be glad to pass that along if I think they are Relevant to our audience here. All right, Kate, do you have any announcements before we get started? Well, I do, actually. I always kind of giggle when I ask you because you I never know what you're going to you? say. <laughs> <laughs> yes, what is your announcement? It, 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 oh, are, how's your control issue going? Because I haven't cleared this with you yet. No, no, I'm just kidding. It, it is a little announcement, and it's nothing big, but... Um, Every so often, you know, at one point we were going to do it weekly, and that didn't quite work, but we talked about our little intervention insights thing. Yes, yes. And I had something this week that, um, well, actually kind of was started two weeks ago, and then I was definitely convinced this week. But just a little thing that I thought I'd share with listeners because, um, you know, I just – uh, I'm not a real speech therapist, but work a lot on communication with kids, and so this may be um, not at all uh, a revelation to a lot of our speech therapist listeners, but I don't hear of many speech therapists doing this. So anyway, here's the story. Okay. I have been seeing this little guy for oh, about four months, and he appears to be, in my humble opinion, very apraxic. I mean, he's classic. Okay. You know, he's totally with me on receptive skills. Um, when I came in, he had, oh, two or three of his own little signs. You know, he did the give me fingers. He did me, did the right. wear hands. He very expressive with his little face, which I think a lot of apraxic kids kind of are. They're almost like... Um, the smart ones are. Okay, the, ones the smart ones who learned how to really compensate, yeah. Yes, I mean, they're, and I they're don't mean like, that... Yeah, and again, I probably should have said the more cognitively advanced children. But anyway, go ahead. Well, okay. <laughs> um, this little guy is very cute, very expressive. And I, I was going to say, I think a lot of apraxic kids, like you said, the higher functioning ones mm-hmm. do tend to be almost like hyper-exaggerated with their little facial expression. I always think it's like a little cartoon character, you know, because they're <laughs> trying to express so much without saying any words that they well, tend to be... What a- yeah, what a great convinced story strategy. I mean, they right. realize, gosh, I can't pop those words out, so let me demonstrate with my little body what I'm feeling, what I'm thinking, what I want. Yeah, I think that's great. Anyway, okay, so I've been seeing him nearly four months, and he's one of those, like, I know it's in there, I know it's in there. I have been doing darn everything I know to do um, that normally works, and I've had very limited success. 
getting him out. He's signing. He gets the signs. He's moving along on those. But as far as words, he's one of those kids who kind of bites his lower lip and gives you the big eyes. You know, he's cute, likes to play, but can be kind of shy a little bit. Yeah. Does some grunting, but not, you know, and I keep thinking, I know I'm going to get him. I know I've got to get him. <laughs> what, do I, what should I do? What should I do? I have tried everything. Well, let, two weeks ago, I decided, okay, I want to see if I model the word and do it in the TV, if I can get him to say it in the TV, because I thought, well, maybe this will take a little pressure off him. Right. Blah, blah, blah. Well, it, he got a couple words out, cut, you know, ball and more, I think. Mm-hmm. So this week I happened to have my little baby doll with me, and there's a mirror in there, and I thought, well, the TV worked. I'm going to try the mirror. And it's just a little play mirror, but I got the mirror out, and I said, you know, tell him, tell him. That's <laughs> in the mirror. So I'd model it in the mirror, and then I'd give it to him, and darned if it didn't work. I mean, and it worked. I'll bet he approximated 25 words maybe, and that's from like, Two to twenty-five in the week, you know, from one week. Uh-huh, that's awesome, isn't awesome. it? Awesome! It was like that's woo-hoo! a lot of a big, big, big gain. Big gain. But anyway, and I have used mirrors with a practice kid, so I know that's not a revelation. I guess the, the thing that I didn't anticipate or I didn't see, had I, I would have done it two, three months ago. I, I mean, I've only used it with kids who were already already trying to imitate some words. They were already popping out some words. You know, we were much further along when I've used mm-hmm. a mirror with other kids. And my, in my experience, some kids respond to the mirror and some kids don't. You know, That's there's my a, experience, too. Yeah. Right. And I've had a lot not respond. So, yeah. you know, it's not my go-to thing. But with him, for whatever reason... I think it's what you said, and of course I don't know this child. I've never seen him. This is the first time I've even heard you talk about him. But it sounds like it was just. Oh come on, Laura! You've take. seen a hundred kids like him. <laughs> <laughs> Not this particular specific Not this child, one, but I've told you enough for you to know that you have seen a I kid re- just like him. I really think that it's because you took the focus off, Pressure and that's why off. I yeah. use a little bucket a lot. You know, you've heard mm-hmm. me talk about that, like a little. Any something or sometimes a little microphone or sometimes just anything that's a little bit novel. Well, and like I've gotten him to say ball before, but that was because I was yelling it in the ball toy. Do you do that with, you know, our ball ramp toy? Absolutely. (laughs) Ball! And he tried it a couple times. So I and and I know that about a practice kid. That's why I do lots of calling and you know anything I can do to model it, but not be yeah, not to be in his face as much. But anyway, so it worked, and boy, was it a red-letter day. And I was just going to share for people who are thinking, I, I know there's something I could be trying, because this isn't quite getting it. That was my woo-hoo. Okay, I buddy. think it's just the novelty. I think yeah. I really I think it's the novelty with something like that. And the mirror might have been the reason that it worked, but I'm like you. I think sometimes it's so distracting to kids. They get so visually distracted. They're looking at themselves. And right. sometimes, you know, a lot, speech pathologists have used mirrors forever to do, like, articulation, um, right. oral motor kind of stuff. But I think with the practice kids, the reason that that thing works, <coughs> excuse me, that a technique like that would work is because it almost takes the focus off him saying it. And he's looking at himself it's just enough distraction for him to be able to pop it out without too much 
um, forced effort on his part. I mean, he was having a good time and thinking about something else, so it made it easier for him to do. I mean, I think you could have, you know, who knows? You'll have to share with us the next time you find some, I was going to say odd little thing, although this isn't that odd, but, you know, some different, some novel little thing. That's sometimes with some of my Praxic kids, it's been Using a little bucket or using something that looks like a little megaphone or using, you know, if they have a little microphone toy and I pick it up and yell something into that, that and then put it in front of their mouth, sometimes they just start before they even, you know, even mean to do it. It just kind of pops out. So I think it's the novelty that makes that so um, so much easier for them to do. But I'm excited you had such a great day with a little guy like that. That's great to go from two words to 25. That's yeah, I mean, that's it was, impressive, Kate. That's impressive. You. You, you, know, you flew on that high all the way home, didn't oh, you? Oh, it was a good week. Thanks <laughs> for that little guy. I mean, I thought, ooh, that was, it made my week. Because I've been, you know, yeah. he's a cute guy, and he's made a little progress. But I've just been thinking, this is, it's got to get better. We need to pick up our pace here. So this was it. And now I feel like, okay. And, you know, on that day, last week when he was really on, after we started out that way then, as I went along, as long as I chose the right words and made them really simple, I could model them, and he was imitating them. Then it was like, okay, we've broken the ice. You know, right? You got you got him over his hump. Mm-hmm. He got over that hump that day. But you know what? You all what you've done these months before weeks and months is you've really gotten him ready to that spot. I still don't think you could have taken out that mirror on week one or week two or week six, and him be able to do it like he he did for you this week. I mean, you've really laid the foundation and gotten in there. Right. Don't you think? I do. He's pretty darn practical is what I really yeah. think. And boy, there's a really and, strong family history. It's like, ooh, yeah. Well, and the other thing is you might have used it before, and if he didn't have success with it, even the mirror might not have worked again. I mean, I think, don't you think every the planets aligned, everything just came together right. at that one moment? I mean, maybe a couple of weeks ago he could have done it, but really with the Praxic Kids, you just have to kind of get them there. And you made it fun enough and novel enough in that moment. And because he's shy, too, in addition to all this communication difficulty, it probably probably took him some weeks to kind of even warm up. Right. Um, to get ready to play and be able to do this kind of thing where it's, you know, week one or week two, he's probably still kind of sitting there looking at you with the big eyes, biting his lip <laughs> like, you want me to what? Huh? Yeah, who are you? I, mean, I don't know that about this kid, but you're right. I've seen a lot of kids like that. And you have to kind of prime the pump a little bit and get him ready so that they can move along. But I'm glad it happened for him and for you. And I, were his parents excited? Oh, thrilled. Yeah. Thrilled. So it was it was great. And I just thought I'd share that for people who are seeing kids and they haven't tried. You know, sometimes I will be hot on on certain strategy or technique and then yeah. I'll have it fail a couple of times and then I don't use it as readily as I go along and this one was just right. kind of those, one of those okay the TV worked kind of hard to always look in the TV you know yeah yeah <laughs> so I said where's the mirror give me the mirror and it worked really well so anyway and your next kid it, yeah and the next kid it may not work for right I mean, but it's just one that's the great thing about what we do it's never boring because you need to have lots of tricks and lots of strategies and techniques that you can think, okay, that wasn't successful. Now let me move on to this. Let me try this. Let me do this. 
And that's the great thing about what keeps this job so much fun is that it's right. not always completely 100% predictable or cookie cutter or whatever. You do have to think a little bit and think, why did this work? How can I set up the situation again with the next child? But see, for him, I think you'll be able to go back in next week. And he again, I think he's probably gotten over the hump and he may take a few minutes to get started, but you'll be able to get that right back. Right. I moved it right along. I mean, that's why I was so jazzed. I thought, finally, I've got him. And, you know, once you've got him, you just feel like, okay, let's cruise along. You know? I know. Here we go, buddy. Buckle up. I'm in control now. (laughs) I know. And now you'll just kind of do your go-to things, and he now knows how to imitate, and you'll be able to move him along. Right. So anyway, that's what I wanted you. to share. No big or shattering news or anything. Oh, I think it's great. I think it's great, and I'm glad you shared that. And I think the thing that therapists can take away from that is not to get stuck in the same old thing and think back to children that you've had in the past that a little new trick worked. Pull that out when you're having difficulty with that again. Don't get discouraged if it doesn't work with one particular child. they kind of Hold it in reserve. Try it a few weeks later, you know, when the kid has kind of moved along in other ways, <coughs> or try it on your next hard kid. You know, and again, I think that's what makes this job so much fun is because it's not just the same boring thing all the time. So thank you for sharing that. That's a great story. Well, you're welcome. As you can tell, I was very excited about it. As you, <laughs> you should be. you doing your conference, I would have called you to tell you. <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't call. I could have just put you on the speaker. You're a little, oh, no, no, no. I don't do live things. You got scared just thinking about that, didn't you? Yes, I did. Mm -mm, No. Anyway, I'll quit being goofy. That was just my little exciting thing of the week, so. Well, I think that's awesome. That's great. I, I think other therapists, too, like to hear about success stories with other kids, because we've all been there. When you feel that moment, like you've gotten them. And so I want to hear about him next week and the next week so that you can kind of keep us updated with uh, what's going on with him. Okay. All right. Last week, we, for the past couple of weeks, have been talking about newer toys that we've played with, things that we might not have mentioned on the show before. Maybe we just kind of mentioned in passing. And so that's been our topic the last couple of weeks. And last Sunday night when we spoke, we at the end we were talking about how we use puzzles and how some children get so burned out on puzzles that they don't want to do them anymore. And usually it's because you've not been very creative. The therapist hasn't been, or the mom, been very creative excuse me, when you're introducing it so that you keep those fun and exciting and moving along. And when I first mentioned puzzles, you thought we were going to talk. go ahead and talk about the auditory processing games that I like to use with puzzles, but I wanted to talk about our, our earlier strategies or our earlier ways that we use puzzles first. And we did that last week where we talked about those little tricks like Um, mixing them up in your hand or in a bag so the kids get a little bit excited with which one that they're going to get. We talked about um, for kids who aren't really ready to name the piece yet, you could use the puzzles to work on receptive language and give them a choice with those things. We talked about hiding the puzzle piece so that the child would be excited about seeing it and want to do it and all the things that we 
mentioned that um, we do the other thing we really talked about that I think bears repeating every time we talk about using puzzles is that it doesn't matter if a child puts all eight or nine pieces in every week as long as you're moving forward. So if he does a couple of pieces this week and then he's bored but then in the or wants to move on, and then next week he does three pieces, and the next week he does five pieces. That's progress, and we still have to celebrate those little successes, especially with our population, uh, because toddlers are unpredictable in and of themselves, and then the kids that we work with that have those developmental and maturational challenges certainly um, may not have the attention span or the the persistence to stick with it, and we both talked about how that's okay and that's not that big of a deal. As long as we kind of keep moving in the right direction, we're fine with that. So many people in Atlanta came up after the breaks. I bet four or five different people asked me, though, what how I do handle discipline problems in therapy and what discipline um, books that I recommend and things like that. So I, I, I know that... <laughs> Therapists and toddlers in general do struggle, or therapists struggle with toddlers' behavior in general, but I kind of just want to shake people when they say that and say, if you are really fun and keep that kid with you, you will significantly reduce the amount of redirection or disciplinary stuff that's even, you know, that could even occur in a session because they're right with you and having so much fun that those other things don't happen. Don't you feel that way? I really do. I mean, I have very few discipline problems with kids, and a lot of times they are kids that other people, either other therapists or mom reports, there are some big issues. And, I mean, I think it's, I think it's, well, I don't know. I, I'm pretty flexible with kids, and I think some therapists would probably say, well, yeah, you just let him do what he wants. But you're not just sitting there, and even you're just saying that. You're when you're saying you let him do what he wants, you don't mean that you just sit there and he runs all over the house wild while you sit there. You mean, right? You mean when he wants to move on, you move on. When he's a little bit bored with playing something in the traditional way, or you see that it's about to go south on you, you either make it more fun or you do something differently. You control that therapy session in that way, not the whole, come on, buddy, you have to finish the rest of this puzzle or you don't get to play with those other things. Right. I will say um, the one thing that I do put my foot down about is, well, I don't let them hit me, but other than that, um, as far as following their lead, if a kid gets really, 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 I call it stuck, we could call it perseverative about... (laughs) You know, laying on the floor and watching the choo-choo, and he, you know, I'm doing everything I can do to get his attention, but really he's just fixated and locked in on that choo-choo. I'll let it go a couple minutes, and then I say, okay, we're done, and I clean it up. And sometimes that does, excuse me, um, kind of, you know, upset a kid because those kids don't want to see those toys go, but that's about the only thing that I say, "Uh uh-uh, you know. Right, but to me that's a transition issue. That's not even a behavior issue. I mean, I know that a kid might kick and scream at that point and be upset, but if you've, and what I do in that situation is I might let him continue with that for a little while, but then I think of some other way to introduce it or kind of or introduce something new to that or break it or, or something else. When kids are like that on their bellies, a, a lot of times I flip them over and tickle them or scoop them up and 
put them in my lap, and then we move on either with that toy or get something new. Mm-hmm. But it's it's all in the way that you are handling it. When you are not, one, you're not freaking out and saying, oh, my goodness, you know, I'm going to draw my line in the sand and this is going to be a real showdown here because I think that just sets, it sets up the power struggle for the whole session, maybe the whole year, year and a half you have a kid Mm -hmm. if you start out doing lots of that in the beginning sessions because then they see you coming in the door and they, it's almost like they want to put their dicks up, like, come on, lady, what you got today? <laughs> you yeah. know, they want to fight you about everything. And I think if you could just get off on the right foot and, again, make it fun and exciting and, and um, where either you're not doing something that's so hard for them that they get overly frustrated or where you don't make everything about behavior. I mean, I don't let kids throw toys or hit or bite or tear up my things or anything like that, but you stop it way before it even gets to that phase. I mean, don't you feel like you're constantly kind of monitoring kind of how your little guy's doing? And if you even see, if you even think that those kinds of things might be a remote possibility, you redirect it, you kind of move on so that there's not an opportunity to throw. If you know that he's always going to throw a certain toy, guess what? Don't play with that toy. (laughs) (laughs) Play with something, you know what I mean? Play Mm -hmm. with something different. If something seems to set him off, do something different. You know, it doesn't, I just think that when you let them kind of get in the rut of misbehaving, or if you want to call it that, or being off target or off task, or again, whatever professional term you want to Stick on that when you can when you can prevent that well before it happens. You do yourself a big favor, and you do that kid a favor because he's more likely to participate and learn and process and all those other things when he's not mad and when he's not thinking, "I'm going to win this." Um, so I just I don't have a ton of those behavior issues. And again, I you know it might be. <laughs> You never know if a specific kid could be different. I just think it's if you have a big caseload of behavior issues, you might not want to look at the kids as the problem. Yeah, <laughs> for that. You might want to do a little self-analysis <laughs> there. Yeah, well, well you know, I routinely have kids that um, I get reports from the mom that usually it's boys just because I see a lot more boys than girls. But, you know, the mom will say, we all do. Yeah. he doesn't like so-and-so. And I say, well, what do you mean? Ooh, he doesn't want to play with her. He gets mad, you know, on and on. And I think, how can this be? He's this cute little guy. He loves to play. And, and it always comes down to a couple of things. One, she doesn't take very much. And what she takes, she dictates they're going to do from start to finish. Right. And, and so it's like, okay, so she's drawn the line in the sand with the two-year-old. And, you know, my philosophy has always been, well, you only have an hour, he's going to win. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, well, <laughs> you know, like, why would you want to have a power struggle with a two-year-old? Anyway, first of all, I, I raised know. my kids. I'm not fighting with somebody else's two-year-old. That's and we're the there to be helpful and therapeutic. Right. And if it's a power struggle... My guess is those kids get lots of practice with that. They probably don't need to yeah. hone their skills on the state's <laughs> dime. So I really kind of think, mm. and honestly, I, I mean, I'm not going to say never, but very, very rarely. But it's not uncommon right. for me to hear. Right. Well, me so he has lots of 
he gets really upset with so-and-so. He throws big fits with her. And I'm always scratching my head, and I say, why? Well, she's working on attention, and she says that he has to finish the puzzle, and he doesn't want to, and then she makes them. And I just think, mm. you know, when kids get good at puzzles or when they're at least proficient, they like them. So my they like them and they'll do them. Or if you do them, them, yeah. Or if you do, you now if you take the same puzzle for every week for four or five months in a row, he's probably no, not going to you like. You know, you and I would be too bored to even consider. <laughs> I can't even play with the same toy three weeks in a row. Maybe all that's day. why I get the kids because I have a slightly <laughs> short attention span myself. I'm thinking I'm bored. Let's move along. Move yeah. on. Yeah. No, I don't mean that. But I mean, if you're in, you know, if 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 completing a simple puzzle is a chore for a kid, and for a lot of our kids it is initially, they really either they don't understand it or they don't have the perceptual skills or the fine motor skills or whatever, right. limited exposure, any number of reasons. But for, you know, every kid who I can only get to do three pieces the first time around, 90% of those kids are going to end up just good or fine doing puzzles. It's just they need practice. They need right. exposure. They need positive reinforcement. And right. I don't think it's you don't get a silver dollar for having him have a meltdown and, and completing it when he's kicking and screaming for three quarters of it. I don't either. And I just don't even do that with kids anymore. And I do remember children, you know, a long time ago that I would think, gosh, his parents don't discipline him, blah, blah, blah. He needs to either, you know, he needs to be made to do this. And I can tell you, any time in my career that I have felt that way, I've always ended up just going, "Okay, that's not working for me. Yeah. I'm just, I'm going to follow his lead, and I'm going to make friends with this little boy, and he, I need to make him love me. I don't need to be here to lower the boom on him every week. I need to make him love me. And the minute that I feel like we have established a great social connection, there's hardly any behavior issues after that, hardly right. any. And this, the therapist was telling me, she said, I have this one little girl with Down syndrome, and all she wants to do is throw the toys. And I said, I th- bet you're using toys that are too hard. And she said, mm, no. And I think, still in my mind, I bet you're using toys that are too hard. <laughs> <laughs> because if she could do it, she probably would do it. Or uh, mm-hmm. or maybe she's just somehow getting rewarded for throwing, even if they don't really realize it, you know, the whatever's meaningful for her or, you know, makes her happy or whatever. There might be something that they're doing with that. But honestly, if kids, if the toy is too hard, and like you said, visual perceptual skills, fine matter, whatever about it they can't do, really when you're seeing a lot of throwing, mouthing, uh just general fit throwing, it's usually because what you're asking them to do is too hard. And you need to often take a step back. Sometimes you need to take five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten developmental steps back, work on something a lot easier first, and then let them kind of fill in the foundation. And then a lot of those behavior issues, with, particularly with toys, stop because they're ready then to do what you've asked them to do. And that's one thing I've started saying in the conferences, too. When you go months and months without progress, without any measurable progress, it's because usually your goal is too hard. You've got to step way back and analyze what you've asked them to do. Most of the time it's because you've you've missed steps in there and they're struggling and you haven't even realized it. You know, you, you're down on letter G-H-I when the kid's way back on doing B, C, or D. 
So, I, I mean, I think that's just so important for therapists to think about. And and when you've had behavior problems, Kate, don't you think it's usually because the kid's frustrated? Yes. Yeah, I do. But, again, I know a lot of therapists don't think that way. <laughs> but, I mean, really, when it gets down to it, it's usually, you know, they're just, they can't handle for some reason, or either, again, it might be a regulation issue. You're expecting them to sit too long. They're just, they can't do it yet. So that's why that move, sit, move, sit, move, sit works for nearly every toddler on your case. And when you get them that they'll sit and they attend and they'll play with you the whole darn hour, which I get a lot of kids to that point really, really early, more power to you. Then you don't have to move, sit, move, sit. You can just sit. But for the kids who are acting out and you think that regulation could be an issue, you have to keep that in mind and not have them held prisoner, held captive, uh, while you force them to do something that either skill-wise they can't do because of the things that you mentioned, fine motor, visual, perceptual, you know, whatever play skills, coordination, motor planning, or, again, from a regulation perspective. So I don't know how... What made me start thinking about that? But oh, the oh, I, the, the several therapist people asked, who it, asked yeah. you about the discipline problem. Yeah, yeah I don't like really think that's a big problem. So, and well, that's maybe that's just where we are, Laura. <laughs> maybe <laughs> not going to fight with two-year-olds. You know, I do yeah. mean it. Although sometimes you don't have a choice, but sometimes you don't. And you and, and there will be days when kids are sick, or if they are. Tired the night before, yeah. Yeah, yeah, those kinds of things. Now, that's totally different, but that's not every week, and it's not 18 of the 24 kids on your caseload either. Absolutely (laughs) not. Yeah, yeah, and that's what at least, you know, one or two of those questions seem to be about. And she, one of them, one person specifically said, "I I don't see anything related to discipline. You know how for the conferences I lay out the resources and books that I like and I kind of pick them up as I talk about them or if I remember mm-hmm. to talk about them and they're in the back and that's what one person said do you not ever recommend discipline books I think that's what's lacking with all the kids on my caseload and I really <laughs> need some good discipline books to recommend to parents and I thought oh boy <laughs> let me recommend this to you it's the manual that talks about how to be fun in therapy <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said that now. But really, that's that's what I think Johnny just said. I hope she's not listening. Probably not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on before I talk myself into a hole here. But a okay. lot of times, it really, yeah, Johnny's saying too late now. A lot of times, it really, if you are fun enough and if you are working at the right level in therapy, you really won't have those issues. You really won't. From totally agree. Yeah from your experience, too. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about what we started talking about at the beginning last week with puzzles, with how to use puzzles as a way to target auditory processing in toddlers and young preschoolers. And this is my very favorite way to use puzzles. And I don't really do this at the beginning of therapy. It's usually after I've worked with a child for a while and they're kind of moving along and I know that they're understanding lots and lots of simple commands and they have lots of words, you know, receptively and expressively. And when we get to that point, and especially if I start to see that, okay, this kid knows a lot, but he's not able to kind of 
follow directions in daily routines or say we get a report from preschool that, um, you know, he seems kind of lost at preschool or he's not following the routine at preschool or following directions or mom will say something like, I know he knows what I mean, but he just he just can't do it. And it's not that he's being bad. He just He just doesn't always understand what I'm asking him to do. Then I nearly always start thinking, Okay, auditory processing is going to be an issue with this child. And, again, we don't diagnose that with children when they're toddlers and young preschoolers. That That's a diagnosis that comes later when a kid is school age. But I wanted to share some symptoms of processing disorders in a preschool child, and this is from Gail Richards, and it's from the source for processing disorders from lingua systems. And here are some symptoms of that. Poor sequencing in both receptive and expressive language. And for me, that would be that if they're trying to tell a story, again, this would be for an older child, or um, that would be expressively or receptively follows the multiple-step directions, they get lost between A and B. They can't follow the whole routine or, or know what to do. Slow development of vocabulary and concepts. These would be the kids that hang on to their core set of phrases or their core set of words. Or, again, for an older kid, if you asked him to describe something or they were going to tell you about the time that they had, they might use really general language. Like if you asked him, did you have a good time at Grandma's? And it might be, yes, you know, tell me what you did. Did you have fun? You know, it would be something like, yeah, it was good. You know, really non-descriptive, um, really limited vocabulary skills. Um, these are the kids that might... Again, use those uh, holistic phrases, I want that, give me that, um, and not expand very much with different um, newer words or, again, have just a a really maybe limited set of verbs, limited set of nouns, limited set of descriptive words, and not add tons of new things or understand lots of new things until unless you really, really explain it to them. These would be kids with an ineffective short-term memory, and I think, again, that has a big um, role to play in how functional they are in um, preschool or in Sunday school or any other little group activity. These might be the kids that you're taking them to a birthday party and they don't understand <laughs> what the mom said they're going to do first and what they're going to do next. You know, again, they just seem a little bit lost. Kids who have slower development in understanding and using WH questions, and I think this is a big marker in lots of the things that I've read about auditory processing in preschoolers, says those kids who can't ask and answer those really simple uh, what and where questions at two and at three are the same kids who don't understand why and when and how when they get a little older. So again, those kids, you ask them a question, they're answering off target or um, they never ask you a question. And a lot of uh, a lot of therapists write me about, you know, what to do with kids like that. Um, kids that have delayed articulation or phonological development, that would be lots of speech sound errors, either omissions or substitutions. Kids with significant word retrieval problems, I can't remember what anything is called. Kids with immature grammar or persistent error patterns, that would be the kids who have lots of difficulty with uh, pronouns or they might not understand verb tenses, even though you've corrected and corrected and modeled over and over and over, and they still aren't um, 
demonstrating some maturation with uh, um, different language forms that they're using, and then slow to develop social language skills, poor awareness of conversational rules. And again, those would be the kids that might have difficulty initiating, the kids who don't really answer, the kids who just seem like they're kind of hanging on the outskirts there because they are not as savvy as their little peers in using language to communicate with their friends. So that's the list uh, from Gail Richards. And we do start to see some of these, especially in our older toddlers. Have you had kids, Kate, before that you think, boy, I think she's, she or he will get an auditory processing disorder diagnosis when they get older? I have. I don't know that much. I mean, I've read a little bit about it, but really right. don't know that much about auditory processing. Um, Laura, what comes to my mind are the kids I see that, one, you're working on trying to get them to respond yes or no, and what you get is yes or no. When yeah. you're modeling, trying to do the yes or no, and they do yes or no. Or kids where you're trying to offer them a choice of two things, and they repeat back both. Yeah. And I think those are great examples of things that we see in toddlers. And, again, mm -hmm. that's not to say that every kid that has some receptive language difficulty, you know, sometimes um, this auditory processing stuff becomes prevalent when when parents say, I know that he knows this. Or I had this excellent video clip in the conference uh, with the, that I show of this little girl that I worked with, and I know she'll get an auditory processing disorder when she gets older. And one of the reasons is um, her preschool teacher did kind of describe her as lost, and we did, you know, once she would get a word, she would use it, and, you know, you would think she understood it. But then to have put commands, to have her follow multiple-step commands, even when she understood both the first part and the second part, to put them together, you know, she would just look like, I don't know what you've asked me to do. You're asking me to walk through fire here. And, again, not a behavior issue. She's not defiant while this is happening. She's just looking like, what? And the clip is where I'm saying to her, um, get the keys and give them to Mommy. And she, because it was the very first time that I asked her to do that, and she certainly knew keys and she certainly knew her Mommy, but to put that together as a two-step direction the very first time that I'd asked her, you know, she had a hard, hard time doing that. And, again, these are the kids at preschool that do get mislabeled as they're not listening or um, he just wants to do his own thing. And, again, the teacher just a lot of times leaves the teacher kind of scratching her head going, what is wrong with this kid? Uh, I know she knows this. Why can't she follow these directions? And so... A lot of times I think it's because of poor auditory processing, but, but especially preschool teachers may not be aware that that's even a possibility um, as an issue. And we certainly know that you don't wake up at 6 one morning and yesterday you didn't have an auditory processing disorder and today you do. You know, it's kind of a cumulative, or not kind of, it is a cumulative thing. Um, and, uh, and, again, I'm not saying that we're going to start diagnosing that in toddlers. We're not, but we certainly can start to look for those red flags and design some therapy activities and teach moms and dads how to design some therapy activities and things that they do at home to target those um, underlying issues. So I feel like I'm blabbing on. Do you want to jump in and say anything? Nope. Okay. <laughs> not really. 
All right, so how do you work on those kinds of things with kids? Well, I like to work on auditory processing as part of therapy when you're giving, when you're playing games. Because when you're playing these little games, you can give lots of verbal directions. And usually I try to, again, I try to make everything pretty fun and exciting. But especially with these games, because it mimics Real life, when you're going a little faster and when there seem to be a lot of um, things going on, because that would describe kind of a typical preschool classroom all everywhere across the world, you know, lots and lots of children and those teachers are giving directions and things. And so it almost has to be more upbeat and uh, move a little faster and get kids going a little more to simulate the kinds of demands that are on their systems when they have to process multiple step um, directions and information in the real world. Does that make sense to you? It does, yeah. Okay. So to do that, you can use one puzzle, or sometimes when a kid gets really good at one puzzle, I'll do two puzzles, and I'll put the puzzles on the other side of the room, and I'm on, you know, so that there's a good distance there so that they can run, or if they're a kid that really, a lot for a lot of little boys, I'll set up maybe a little obstacle course between me and the puzzle form so that they have to do a couple little things before they get to the puzzle, and when they're picking the pieces, I'm usually if we're still doing a lot of expressive stuff, having them name the pieces. But if I purely want to keep it in a a receptive or processing task, I try to use, um, if we're working on multiple step directions, I'll say get the cow and horse. Or if we are doing, um, say, higher level language processing, you know, which one says move, which one flies, which uh, vehicle goes in the water, something so that they have to choose and pick and kind of think a little bit. Um, And then they run, they get the right piece, and then they run, put it in the puzzle, and then run back to me. And preschoolers and older toddlers love this kind of challenge. Again, it's like a little race to them or a little game. And you can work in all your different receptive goals. You can do some expressive things with this as well. But it is a fun, fun way to engage a child. And, again, you're going a little bit faster, so they have to uh, think and hold Hold what you've asked them to do in their little working memories, especially if you've already put the pieces in and you're telling them, you know, go get the one that says beep, beep, and they have to think what that is and then go over and think, okay, which one says beep, beep? It must be the car. Let me get the car and take that back to her. And so there's some um, processing that has to go on even beyond kind of the beginning where they listen to your initial directions. And I've had really good luck working with siblings with these kinds of games, too, because we always are looking for ways to involve brothers and sisters because that's real life, (laughs) and they want to participate, and it's a way that you can work with your little client plus his um, siblings and keep them involved, too. Moms love these kind of games because, again, they're more fun. They're a little more um, functional because you are targeting their ability to kind of listen and think and move on their feet, which is what we want all kids to be able to do in real life. So there's a whole section about how to set up those games and do those kinds of things in my new therapy manual, Teach Me to Talk. So if you're interested in that, take a look at that on the website because there are lots of 
more specific instructions with how to set those games up. But I do it sometimes even with toys. And it's, I do this um, during cleanup time, work on these kinds of things. Um, again, if a child is having difficulty following multiple step directions, a prerequisite skill would be having him find two or three things that you say. You know, find the dog and the cat. Get the horse and the pig. Get Diego and Dora so that they're holding those two little parts there in their working memories and they're able to retrieve those items. And then, again, that's a prerequisite or an in-between step for a kid who doesn't understand. Um, go get your shoes and then wait for me by the front door. You know, they need more practice with that in therapy situations so that they can learn how to hold both those little steps there in their minds and then follow through. All right, say something because I've been talking for like 10 minutes straight here. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe the hour's almost up. That's <laughs> Where did it go? <laughs> but those little games are fun. Do you play those games? You probably don't play them as much as I do. I have tried them. I will say I use your cleanup thing. Sometimes I get my best response on um, really, really getting a kid to respond to what I'm saying or really, really seeing how his receptive skills are when on cleanup, but I don't necessarily yeah. use it across the room. But, like, clean up the puzzle, you know, right. I'll do the get the da 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 and they seem to really like that, and I guess it is kind of the hyper nature of it, and there's kind of, like, a fun amount of pressure. But And right. I've tried the run across the room thing. I've done it some, but I can't say I do it routinely. Well, it's a good idea, and you'll be able to put that in your little bag of tricks, especially if you have two closely um, spaced siblings and they both know a lot. See, that might be a difference, too. Is sometimes I'm really working with kids whose receptive language is pretty good, right. and the parents think I'm just there to work on expressive stuff. But you start to kind of suspect that there's some underlying processing issues and you know I've been interested in auditory processing for a long time so it's something I've tried to think about you know what can I do even with a kid this age um, what can I include in therapy so that and, and I had a whole slew of kids say hmm, think of one little boy in particular who I guess he'll be starting kindergarten this year so like maybe three years ago or four years ago when I really started thinking, I've got to come up with some ways to target processing here because this little boy is very, is a great labeler and his comprehension is good for one thing at a time. But you put him in a situation where there's background noise and he had a twin and a slightly older sibling. And for him to process, his processing ability one on one was markedly better than his ability when his brothers were there and then in his little preschool classroom. And his mom is a teacher, so boy, did she notice that. I mean, she said mm -hmm. right away, when he's in a group, he completely shuts down or has a tantrum. You know, he's mm -hmm. acting out. What do you think this could be? And I really think auditory processing was the root of all of that. And he learned how to shut down pretty quickly, I think, because, you know, he was a twin with a brother 13 months older than him. And that, you know, just... I mean, talking about it makes you think about how loud that household probably was. Right. 
and then when he they started doing lots of community events and things, that's when his mom would notice it, like at church and the little playgroups and things like that. Is when she would say, "He is lost, Laura. He is just completely lost." And so that's when I started thinking, okay, there's got to be some way to target this stuff. You know, we're not going to call him this until he's older probably, but you certainly need to work on these things before. And I think with siblings, these kinds of games are just more fun anyway because three- and four-year-olds like things to be fast-paced and like little races. And so I could certainly figure out a way to keep a brother or sister engaged and not cause me problems when I'm trying to work with the baby brother or sister who was two if they had something to do. So these little games are certainly a solution for that. And you can even use kids' preferences. Like sometimes we'll have children that are fixated on the alphabet or on numbers or on colors or on shapes. And, you know, we talk about all the time how we don't want to really teach those or overuse those kinds of concepts. We want children to use more functional language. But if you have a kid who really loves that kind of thing and who needs to work on auditory processing, this is certainly a way that you can work their little um, obsession in or their preference into this fun activity. And do I really care if he discriminates the G versus the P if I'm going to get him to you know, get the magnetic letters off the refrigerator. I don't care about that. I care that he, if he already knows it, that he has the ability to listen to me, to run and do it, to complete the task, and then come back. Because that tells me, again, that he's processed what I've said and he's able to hold that information there. And, you, and again, kids who love colors or kids who love shapes, I wouldn't teach it in this way, but it's certainly a way to work in their, their something that they love and work on that underlying skill. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right, so if you need some more ideas about that, uh, it's in the book. And I think there's an article or two on the website uh, about that in the uh, receptive language category and just look for maybe search auditory processing or something like that. And I know that I've responded to Lots of questions since the website started about that. And I think auditory processing will get more and more attention in younger and younger children as the years go by because we certainly seem to move our milestones or move what we target with children further and further back. And, again, I don't think you wake up at six with an auditory processing disorder. There have been clues all along that that might be an issue. And so as early interventionists, we need to look for that and, at least target some um, therapy routines that would start to address those. Oh, one way that I get moms to carry this kind of thing over is either to play the same little games that we did during therapy or, like you were talking about, Kate, use it during cleanup time. So if it's time to clean up uh, the playroom or the den or whatever, they could give directions like that. We're going to pick up all the balls, and then when the balls are picked up, now let's pick up all the books. Now I want you to pick up. Um, Barbie and Dora and go put them on the shelf. Now get Thomas and Elmo and put them on the shelf, and you can do some fun things like that. And I've had some moms with some really good luck incorporating those kinds of things into their um, daily routines. And even at bath time you could do that if you were, um, you know, having a child follow uh, two, three-step directions with uh, toys in the bathtub. So there are lots of ways you can work that into daily routines, too, and, and have some success with that as well. 
And then the theory is that when a kid can do it in a real contrived, controlled situation like therapy, he'll be able to carry that over into a more functional setting, like following directions at preschool, you know, when the teacher says, come in and hang your backpack up and then go over to the kitchen center and play with your friend so that the child is not looking around the room like, what'd she say? <laughs> and certainly not able to process those uh, multiple step directions. And, and that's a big part of preschool. And I bet you've seen that with kids that you've seen in daycare too. Absolutely. It's interesting sometimes how they can look so different. Like I'm thinking, oh, he's really doing great. And then you see him in a different environment and you think, oh, we have a ways to go yet. You know. <laughs> well, and sometimes it's because they learn our routine so well in therapy. And we want kids to do that because they participate and they know what to expect. But sometimes we need to switch it up a little bit so that we are challenging their little systems. And so we're figuring out, okay, what's that next thing I should work on? or uh, what real-life activities is he having trouble doing, and how can I figure out what those prerequisites are for him to be able to do that uh, in real life and, and bring that into therapy so that we're working on some of that and, and there's a, a carryover to right. a kid's real life. Yeah, it is interesting when you think they're talking really well and then you say to mom, you, ask mom oh my goodness he's doing so well and she goes well hmm not really or this is his best hour of the week Mm -hmm. and then you start thinking oh boy i've got to do some big time parent training so that she's able to carry a lot of this over and i've got to give her more ideas so that she knows how to get this performance the whole rest of the week because what good is it if they can do it with you if they can't do it with anybody else right Well, I'm always happy when it's with me, but it does need to be beyond me, that's for sure. (laughs) Well, and sometimes it's just, yeah, and usually if you can get them to do it in a really structured, contrived setting like therapy is, well, you know they can do it. The skill is there. You've just got to figure out either how to get mom to support them enough so that they are able to carry it over, or sometimes there's some extraneous stuff that you haven't even thought about. Sometimes it's that mom hasn't changed enough of the daily routine so that she's expecting them to complete multiple-step commands or expecting them to use their new words to ask for something rather than just giving them every single thing. Um, So that's certainly part of it, too. Right. Oh, well. (laughs) okay that's funny all right let's end the show today by talking about a couple of more things that i had on this list of toys that i've found um over the last couple of months and i just want to mention a and i i wonder if you've used this before kate you know those really cheapy little remote control animals that even have a string leash on there right now i have a dog and it has a string that looks like the leash that's to the bone and the bone is a remote control you know i I remember them from one like way back when i was a kid but i haven't used them in therapy oh my goodness i bought this because it was you know just an impulsive purchase right beside the counter at walgreens say in april maybe um and i Kids have loved that darn dog. Does it and bark it can and everything? Is it the you... same tacky thing that they're 40 years so ago? It is so tacky. <laughs> it is horrible. But kids have loved it. Every mm. kid I've introduced it to has just 
loved it. And I think it's just simple enough for them. You know, there are two buttons. One, you know, makes it walk and one makes it bark. Mm-hmm. And so it's very simple. But because it's a dog, I've gotten out the brush and a bowl that we could use, you know, and I always squeeze water from the wipes to pretend like the dog is drinking the water. I have a blanket so that the dog can go to sleep, and there's a pillow and just all kinds of things, accessories that I've pulled from the baby bag. Mm-hmm. Kids have loved that darn dog. And because it's walking, several kids have started saying walk, 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 walk right. for walk, which has been really cute. And, you know, again, um, with the barking, some um, – one of my little guys was, he's talking now, but at the beginning he would not really imitate a lot of animal sounds. The first time the puppy barked, wouldn't you know, he started doing it. And I heart, it's usually the other way with toys. They'll imitate me long before they will an electronic toy with an animal sound. But for some reason, this little dog is magic, and I think it cost me, oh, nine ninety nine or something. And I have gotten so many therapy miles out of that dog. So well, you just know leash. I'm going to have to go to Walgreens tonight to get some <laughs> dogs. And it's just I've seen them. Even, I mean, I've toys. seen them recently and kind of looked at them, but I didn't buy it. I <laughs> have not had one maybe forever in my therapy toys, and it would be the kind of thing that you would buy your kid just on an impulse. You know, if they're standing mm-hmm. there, can I please have the puppy? Please, please, please. And you might relent and say, okay. <laughs> but it has been just the best $10 I've spent in a long time, and again, it may not be, it may be just because I've put the accessories with it, and, you know, now I can make almost anything fun for a two-year-old for at least 10 minutes most of the time, and I'm using it with kids, too, that are, you know, they're not necessarily the hardest kids in the world. All the kids that I've used it with, I've I've had pretty good players my last uh six to nine months that have been on my caseload. So that could be a factor. But that, that dog, I tell you, it, I, the day it breaks, I'm going to be in Walgreens or somewhere else <laughs> getting a new one because I've gotten a lot of therapy stuff out of there. Because of the um, leash, we've been able to do pull. You know, that's been really fun. So able to target some verbs with that that we might not necessarily have had. Now, do you uh, let them hold the control? Targets. I do, okay. and operate it, and the buttons are just the right size so that I think, gosh, one of my little girls, Kelly, I think she'll be a natural texter because she holds <laughs> the bones, and she puts her left thumb on the left button and her right thumb on the right oh. button, and boy, she can do it. <laughs> she has some older siblings, too, so I wonder mm-hmm. if she picked up some of that there. But that little dog, and again, it's just the dumbest little toy. I can't believe I even bought it and started to use it because I've never used this before, probably ever. I mean, I knew what they were because I, apparently my children have had them before. But it's been a winner. Well, you know, I think a lot of it is, one, the accessories, and two, a lot of times when kids get, like, a stuffed animal, of course, this is beyond a stuffed animal because it actually has some action to it, but a lot of times it's just like, okay, here's your Mickey Mouse stuffed animal, and nobody ever really thinks to play with it. Play, I think yeah. when you put the play with something like that and you have the accessories, right. you know, and it barks and walks, I mean, that's pretty cool. But It's been cool, yeah. yeah if they got it for a birthday and mom 
wasn't in the trenches playing with them, showing them all that stuff, it probably would have lasted about 10 minutes and they would have been over it. Right, and I think that's part of it too. The other thing that I've done that kids just think is hysterical, and especially with my little girl that I've worked with at daycare a lot, is we let it walk off the edge of the table. And she thinks oh. that is just <laughs> Well, get ready to buy the next one. <laughs> Well, it's a child-sized table, boy. I usually sit on the floor on my knees and have her right there because the little room that we're in, um, she does better if she's sitting right there. I can keep her with me a little bit more. And she's gotten pretty bossy with her little peers that try to come through, and so it's been easier if I turn her back to the door and she can't see other kids walking through to the bathroom. Uh, So that's just been a little environmental modification there that's made it go a lot better. It's just a little trick you learn after doing this for a long time. But she has had so much fun with that dog. I think that's what I'm getting her for her birthday. She's about to turn three because she has just had a blast with that. And the other little boys that I've used it with have been a lot of fun, too. The other thing is she's very she's a maternal little girl. She likes babies. So this has been something to play with on, you know, when I'm sick to death of playing those dolls. She has really liked playing with this dog, and it's some of the same things. So I just wanted to mention that because, again, I've never played with that kind of toy, and it, you look at it and think, oh, I'm not going to buy this. This is not worth my $10, but it has been. <laughs> so I just wanted to pass that along. All right, we are at the end of our show tonight, so we're going to say goodbye. What are we going to talk about next week, Kate? I don't know. We had that one email, but I'm sure we've gotten others. Yeah, I have. We'll start with that next week. And if anyone has any questions that you want us to try to tackle, please email them to us. We would love to do it. You can send that to me at Laura at TeachMeToTalk.com or leave it on the website or put it on TeachMeToTalk.com's Facebook page. Any way you want to communicate with me will be just fine. Is that it for this week? I think that's it. Have a great time in Memphis, but I hope I talk to you before then. I hope so, too. Talk to you later. Bye. Okay, bye.